Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Stephen Lassen. You can follow me on Twitter at AthlonSteven, and you can check out my work at AthlonSports.com. Pretty strange show today. Normally, Aaron Dugan, of course, uh, is hanging out with us. She's dealing with some family stuff. So Stephen Lassen, which you hear, which you've heard, of course, uh, on this particular podcast, each and every week making picks against the spread. You can check out our bowl preview edition, by the way, which we recorded before the tragic passing of Mike Leach. So just a bizarre show, Stephen, today with with the news of Mike Leach. You have to sort of reflect on who he was, which we're going to do with Chris Childers. He and I had an opportunity to both work with Mike Leach at SiriusXM. We had an opportunity to like sort of, I personally, I fell in love with radio because I got to interview Mike Leach. Um, So we're going to talk with with Chris about sort of who he is. Stephen, you and I are going to spend some time sort of making sure people understand the other side of Mike Leach because the personality gets all the coverage, but really the football acumen, the statistical, uh, you know, sort of anomaly that he was in, in the air raid in the SEC and what he meant. Um, we'll do that today on the show. We'll talk. We'll, we'll 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 go through my Heisman Trophy ballot, which had two SEC players on it, neither of which were Stetson Bennett. We'll get into that, and of course, every single coordinator change in the SEC. Stephen, we're going to get you to rate and and sort of review. As all you out there should rate, review, subscribe, and check out the YouTube page. Um, you, you we'll, we'll do that with all of the coordinators that have t- changed so far. Uh, and please God, let one of them be Bobby Petrino in College Station. That's that's all I can say about that. Yes, agree. Yeah, those of us in the in the content industry are uh, we don't root often for things to happen, but we root for good storylines. We root for overtime, right. as you always say. We're rooting for certain coaching hires to uh, to happen this cycle. So uh, obviously, a lot to get to. You, we will hear from Chris Childers on Mike Leach fairly early in the show today, and then we're going to spend some time trying to talk regular football. But just a strange, strange week. And so, um, with Aaron being gone, Stephen, of course, my my right hand man on the Cover Two podcast. We talk all things college football across the entire country and every single conference. The Cover Two podcast from Apple on Sports. So make sure you want to, if you want more college football from us, uh, you can always catch Stephen and I each and every week. Of course, we'll talk a lot about Mike Leach on that show as well. But from a different perspective, for, more from a Washington State. Texas Tech sort of national perspective with Mike Leach. So we'll do that uh, on the cover too. So make sure you check that out. And Steven, your YouTube page? All CFB 365. There you have it. Athlonsports.com. If you want to follow every single player in the transfer portal, athlonsports.com is your place. I got you covered. <laughs> there, there you go. Steven's got you covered. So before we hear from Chris and sort of get to know the personality, because again, I, Steven, I don't... I, 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 I feel very lucky and fortunate to have interacted so much with, with Mike Leach. So I, I want to touch on the data and the stats and what he meant to the game itself. Before we do any of that, however, we have to let people know and remind folks that the Fringe Element podcast and YouTube page is brought to you by J.E. Dunn, Braden. They are our wonderful friends. If you're looking for a career change, J.E. Dunn, they want you to come work for them. Locations all across the Southeast. Braden's been to their offices. He talks up the facilities. He tells me about them all the time. I've had friends that are potentially looking for a career change. So you know what I did? I wrote myself a reminder to send them the application to <laughs> J.E. Dunn. Yeah, just go to jdunn.com. Click on careers up there at the top. There's over 200 jobs available. You need no experience in any in construction. You need you Basically, you need experience like wanting to be a part of a team, wanting to buy into a culture, and wanting to work for someone who cares as much about your career as you do, top 100 healthiest place to work in the United States. Uh, offices all across the Southeast, if you're an SEC football fan listening to this, which I assume you are, and uh, $5 billion in annual revenue. So they've got the resources to take care of their people. Um, they are the Alabama of the construction world right now. So just go work it. You want to go work 
at, at you know the greatest of all time, you go work at Jay Dunn. I mean, that's I think it's a fact. I mean, maybe it's an opinion, but I think it's a fact that it's the greatest company of all time. I all, think all time. I mean, considering how long they've been around, I think that says something. They are. I think you said it best. They are the Alabama and Georgia. Of, oh, both. Uh, They're both of, of them. Of, of employers. So I think it's like you said, you've been to their offices, Braden, you rave about them. You've talked about mm-hmm. it many times. So mm-hmm. many hey, times. if you're quiet quitting or if you're quitting loudly, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> just, just overtly quitting right. by quitting. <laughs> go, go check out J.E. Dunn. OK, um, so I want to w- Chris is going to kind of give you a look into the personality type of Mike Leach, which, again, I think anyone who's been around him. Stephen, like uh, you're getting all the stories right right now because everybody who had an interaction with him was affected by him and i personally again as a 23 24 year old kid he did not need to give me 25 minute interviews about west texas jackrabbits and you know wedding crashers and like all this stuff that i'll explain with chris but he just was so good with his time and he was willing to just be himself even though you know i was a 23 24 year old punk kid um, so there's the personality side of Mike Leach that I think is really important. And Chris is going to do a great job explaining that. We'll have a conversation about that in just a few minutes. Um, but I think there's this whole other side of Mike Leach. that's almost like missed to some degree because of all the personality quirks and how big he was, how captivating he was to the college football world that it almost, you can almost forget how influential his name will be a hundred years from now when we write the book about the passing offense in college pro high school, Friday, Saturday, Sunday football, there's air Coriel, there's bill Walsh, there's Lavelle Edwards, which is a direct line to Mike Leach. Like, and then there's Mike Leach, like uh, Mike Leach is a pretty big chapter of sec football and passing offense and the evolution of this game. Yeah, he, he really is. I think it's, it's pretty remarkable that when you step back for a second and you look at his coaching tree just all across college football, I mean, you look at guys like Lincoln Riley, Dana Holgerson, I mean, Dave Aranda, they've all coached under him, Dave Aranda being more of a defensive guy. But it's not just the coaches, it's sort of the just overall influence on the game. You mentioned, uh, you know, Coriel and, and Bill Walsh and all those guys. Like, and we start thinking like 40, 50 years from now and go back and look at how some of these offenses evolved and just see. Leach has been running almost the same offense, you know, since they started getting into football. Like his play sheet yep. is small. It's the same place, but he's, it was so good at just, you know, kind of repetition and executing the same plays and knowing how to attack defenses. And you can look at the, the history of Kentucky's passing stats and just see like the, how mummy Mike Leach era, like those passing yep. offenses yep. are just so much more productive uh, in the two years you know, before they came there, I mean, the they're just not the stats are not even comparable to what happened <laughs> after Tim Couch. I think they had nine passing touchdowns in the two previous years before how Mummy got there. So it just a a drastic kind of scheme change, a drastic different approach. At the time, you had Steve Spurrier, the fun and gun, and you had Leach. So I and, and Leach and Mummy at uh, at Kentucky. So really, just drastic. I think. Um, and, and also influential hire of, of where offense went at that time. And so I'm going to use passing attempts as, as sort of just a benchmark here because it's the simplest way to sort of show the evolution of the game in the SEC. Um, basically, in the 70s, late 70s, the leader in the SEC in pass attempts was under 200 pass attempts per season. Like, just think about that for a second. So somehow, some way, all of a sudden, 
at, at all, of all places, Vanderbilt. <laughs> um, the first the first guy ever to throw over 300 passes in a single season was Tommy Farr, actually at Mississippi State in 1968. But the first guy to ever throw more than 400 passes was Whit Taylor at Vanderbilt in 1982. Then Kurt Page set the record the following year with 493 pass attempts. Not until you, then Shane Matthews uh, in 1992, you mentioned under Spurrier with the fun and gun, of course, also a big part of the, the evolution of football, 463 attempts. But Kurt Page's 1982, 1983 record stood until Mike Leach came along, and it was the first ever 500 attempt quarterback. Again, they went from the late 70s throwing the ball 190 times a game as the leader in the SEC to in less like in basically 20 years. Mike Leach, Tim Couch, they threw the ball 547 times in 97, setting the record. Then they come back in the very next year, 553 times. They set the record the very next season. Of course, Jared Lorenzen sets another record the next year, which is not Mike Leach, but it is two years later, but it is still, I believe, Hal Mummy. And if you look today, Will Rogers, 683 attempts <laughs> is, is the record. He has, I believe, first, second, fourth, and fifth most attempted pass attempts for a season in the sec of all time and he also also has all those records for the other conferences too <laughs> so like, how do you you cannot write the story of college football's history from an evolution standpoint like sure don coriel gets a chapter yes bill walsh gets a chapter in the west coast and the, and the west coast offense and lavelle edwards which again is the direct correlation to mike leach who was a student at byu watching four wide in the middle of a two tight end i formation era you cannot write the story of college football and SEC football in particular without all of the influence at the start. And I think what's really interesting about Leach being a West Coast guy, and I hadn't thought about this until just now, but like he really begins his big time college football career in the SEC and he ends his college football career in the SEC in the best conference in America. Died at 61 years old, of course. And uh, it's a pretty huge chapter. I know I'm repeating myself, but like the statistics are just insane when it comes to the passing offense and what he did. So in, in 1990, Florida led the sec in passing offense at 290 passing yards a game. <laughs> and you look at what Kentucky three, you know, 300 plus passing yards, 365, three. I mean, it was, I, I remember, you know, I grew up in the nineties watching the sec. I saw a lot of Jefferson pilot sports games with Kentucky <laughs> and I remember thinking, man, uh, this is really different. And I remember when Hal Mummy was hired at Kentucky. I got to, you know, you at the time college football wasn't covered like it was right. now. And you know, you, you you read the newspaper. I used to get the USA Today, and I saw Hal Mummy being hired, and you read about him, and you read about this offense, and then you actually saw it, and you saw it with Tim Couch being, uh, you know, kind of the the point person for it, and just seeing how like different it was at the time. Because Brayden, you know, is it was three yards in a, in a cloud of oh, dust. Yeah. It was yeah, yeah. I formation pro style offense. Yep. And so just to see this wide open offense uh, was a significant change from, from how things were done at the time. Well, and, and I, and he branded it the air raid because he wanted it to be, be different. He wanted to recruit around the phrase, the air raid. He found the air raid siren and was using it at practice and stuff. I believe it. I, Iowa Wesleyan back in the day. And so like, he just, he, he just thought about things so differently um, I think again, from an X's and O's standpoint, I mean, Will Rogers, if not for Joe Burrow and Bryce Young, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're pretty not, good. I think. If not for those two, Will Rogers is the single season all time passing leader in SEC history. And that's a Mike Leach coached player. And that was, that was not this season. That was last season. 
at Mississippi State too. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty yeah. big deal. Yeah, it, it's so I don't think we can overstate. I guess, um, you know, what he meant to the SEC and pulling the SEC into the modern world, and then writ large, of course, across college football. Again, it's not just college football. It's not just the SEC. It is Friday nights. It is Sundays. His influence is everywhere, and. You mentioned all the names, Dana Holgerson, Art Bryles. Like you look at all the different offensive guys for all their off the field weirdness and, and Cliff claws. Kingsbury's the coach. Cliff of Kingsbury, the Lincoln Riley. Like <laughs> you just keep going with guys. There without Mike Leach, I'm I'm assuming somebody comes along with this style of offense at some point. But what makes all these different passing offenses fun and interesting, and if you want to throw in like RPOs and zone read and triple option and all the different running offenses as well, is that each one like Bill Walsh had a different strength. Then Eric Coriel, who had a different strength than Lavelle Edwards, who had a different strength than Mike Leach. And, and Chris Childers is going to mention this as well. And you already have. What Mike Leach's genius was, was simplicity and repetition. Like go to space, go where they're not, run to grass, repeat over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and he did it in 97 with Tim Couch. And he did it this past season just a couple weeks ago against Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, which is so weird to say out loud, by the way. So, well, also, I think how about an appreciation uh, of him as a head coach, too, just from winning at difficult jobs? Yeah. Washington State is maybe the 11th, 12th best job in the Pac 12. Texas Tech is also a difficult job. We know Mississippi State's a really difficult place to, to maintain and, and continue winning. So, I, I think it speaks to how good of a coach that he was when you can keep doing the same things that you were doing back in 98 and 2000 and 2022 and do it at a high level and defenses have evolved, but Mike Leach just kept winning and getting Mississippi state, the egg bowl trophy and finishing the top 25 this year is a pretty big deal. So you and I will spend a little bit more time on his entire career when it comes to Washington state and Texas tech and some of those things uh, on the other show. If again, you want to check that out, the cover two podcast, I do think what's interesting, one more note here before we get to Chris Childers and then what does Mississippi state do now? Who are the candidates? How good of job is this Heisman trophy stuff, as well as a few other things. Um, Tennessee was probably the closest he ever came to getting a blue blood job. And that was of course, John Curry flying across the country. You couldn't get in touch with her with his his basically to be fired by the chancellor. And like, I think Mike Leach was going to take the job. I think Mike Leach was going to take the Tennessee job with John Curry. It all blows up. Of course, Phil Fulmer ends up taking the head coach, the AD job. And, you know, the chancellor's out now and the AD's out. But like, I honestly think there's a reason he never really got the blue blood. And some of it's the air raid, some of it's his personality. But I do think Tennessee was the closest he ever came. And he could have been a head coach at a power program with massive resources and it's not a knock on the other places he coached, but like Tennessee is different when it comes to expectations than the other ones he's been at. So, man, what what a um, what a what if in SEC coaching history? You know, if if Tennessee hires Mike Leach instead of Jeremy Pruitt, you know, you could imagine uh, you know Mike Leach <laughs> hanging out with the Vol Navy and and all that being on the river. So, I, I mean, it would have been awesome to see just because of his his execution, the quarterbacks he could have gotten. Yeah. And like I said, just because he's he's one of these difficult places, you give him a a, a program with top twenty five talent, it it would have been fun to to see how it played out. Uh, Josh Heupel, of course, played for <laughs> Mike Leach, so it all it all comes for, for full circle. Of course, that was his coordinator in ninety nine. He goes on to win the national championship in two thousand, Heisman Trophy finalist, and now leading Tennessee's entire football program. He would not. Josh Heupel probably not there though if Mike Leach is there. Um, because uh, obviously he would have been there last year. So um, either way, a, a, a huge personality, a huge influence on our game. 
Uh, and I wanted to give you guys a sense of kind of who he is. Again, I had a chance to work with him, but very, very briefly. Chris Chowders, of course, host of Full Ride, has been on the show a bunch. He had a chance to actually work with him for longer. But he and I kind of came up, and and I, I'll say this in the interview, I fell in love with my profession of radio, learning how to ask questions and let somebody kind of take the mic and go, which I'm assuming everybody wants me to do right now, <laughs> is because Mike Leach would just be so gracious with his time and so interesting to talk to. Uh, and, uh, so without further ado, we will get back to the Mississippi state job. Zach Arnett is now your acting head coach. Steven, I want to know some candidates that you think we can, we can look at if you're a Mississippi state fan, looking at some candidates, there is a job now that they've got to do uh, with a new athletic director and a new head coach. So time of change for this program, unfortunately, through all this tragedy, thinking about Leach's family and everything. And, uh, we'll get into the Heisman vote and all the different coordinators across the sec as well when we come back. Uh, but here was my conversation with the host of Full Ride on Sirius XM with Rick Neuheisel. This was my conversation with good friend uh, and former Mike Leach co-worker, Chris Childers. Chris Childers, uh, good to see you, my friend. Obviously, different circumstances, but uh, good to have you on the show. How are you, sir? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. So a part of the reason I wanted to have you on specifically um, is that you and I both got started Rivals Radio back in the day when Satellite Radio just got started. I know, obviously, you can listen to him still on, on Sirius XM on Full Ride and a big part of sort of getting to know our business and getting to know national college football conversations. Mike Leach was a huge part of that. And, and I know then you obviously had a chance to get to work with him. I, I had like a couple of shows I did with him, but by and large, you, you know, you spent a lot more time with him during his in between in between Lubbock and Pullman time. And so I wanted to have you on to kind of tell some stories a little bit. So before we get into any of those details, just when I say the word Mike Leach and when you think of college football and Mike Leach, like what is the first thing that comes that that like comes into your mind when I say that? Weird. In the <laughs> best possible way, weird, different strange exotic i mean i can come up with a few different ways to say it but um weird in the fact that he's cut from an incredibly different cloth than every other coach i've ever known or interviewed or talked to or covered i would agree and i would also i don't know about how you feel about this and i put it out on twitter like i i always love sports i always love sports talk i always enjoyed radio I got into it and started learning how much I liked it and how much I enjoyed it. Also, how much I didn't know. But I don't think I truly fell in love with the job, the, the, the act itself of broadcasting and talking and interviewing about college football until like Mike Leach would give us like 23 minute long interviews to a couple of guys that were like mm -hmm. 24 years old who he had no clue who, who you know, we just just some punk kids like on this random ass satellite channel and but he would give us so much time and he would always tell us these insane stories obviously wedding crashers is the thing that i think of first yes. when i think of, when yes. i think of interviews with mike leach so what what did he mean to you in those early days in your career uh getting to have those conversations and and explore a personality that kind of was breaking onto the scene in 2005 6 and 7 yeah, so I remember when we first had him on, um, you and I at Rivals Radio, we didn't really know that he was what he is. <laughs> so there was an interview that you and I, I don't I don't know if Bill did it or whoever did it, but it was on it Rivals was us, Radio. Yeah. It was on Rivals Radio, and we're doing this interview, 
and we get into some conversation about Vikings and how this little organism. No, no, no. Uh, Amazon. It was the Amazon. It was the Amazon. Yes. <laughs> and the little organism. But Vikings was previous in the conversation. That's he definitely hit on Vikings at some point. But he's in the Amazon. And there was these little organisms that would swim up your genitalia. And so they had to swim up. And he your, was like having a swim you know, up. Trying your, to figure uh... out how to say it. He's like, well, I can't say penis on the radio. And I get how do I? And he said equipment. He's like, yes. uh, equipment. Um, you got to wear these special shorts. Yes, he said you had to. They came up with like these special shorts in the Amazon, so these little, you know, microscopic fishy things won't swim into your genitals. But he was so fat, and I'm thinking to myself, we're doing this radio show, oh. and I'm like, every other coach we've ever talked to, I've been nervous, and it's all like Coach Speak 101, where they talk about their three phases and they got you know and i'm just like you know it's all the same they don't say anything for 15 minutes leach has no interest in talking to us about football no one of my favorite things he talked about was the jackrabbits do you remember the jackrabbits he's like there was big football playing jackrabbits we'd have on the practice field like these big old massive things he was just so different yeah and that's what I loved the most about him is that we he would tell these stories and it got and Neuheisel would say, you know how brilliant that is, that he figured out a way to never have to talk about football, even when he lost. Yeah. People would just know not, not to do it and to bring him down to like, you know, what movie he watched or what whatever he saw. And he would it was a brilliance to it, but it wasn't a calculated brilliance. I think it was just Mike. And, and and a little bit of stubbornness too, and just like yes. his natural his natural inquisition and like desire to like absorb as much information as possible. Um, it's funny that you bring up the uh, the Amazonian fish that swims up your uh, up your uh, up your equipment, which is like exactly the cut. That's and, how he and, delivered it. Yeah. And you were and you were on air a little bit far more than I was at that time, and so I just remember pulling every interview we did with Mike Leach, and yeah. we would cut it up into so many different clips that we just had an entire Mike Leach sound drop board. Like there was an entire part of our show that if we needed a drop, it, there was like a Mike Leach section of drops. And it's funny that you bring up the Amazon conversation first, because, again, he was explaining to give people context. He was ex- trying to explain there's this surfing contest where mm-hmm. like you ride like these guys surf all the way from like the middle of the Amazon all the way out to like the Pacific Ocean. And but they have to wear special shorts because of the animals that are going to swim up your equipment. Yeah. And he tells yeah. this whole story. And it's funny is that that's like the second or third interview that I remember doing with him. The first one was about wedding crashers. Yes. And about how they were game. Like, I was like, hey, coach, you take your team to a movie. Like, that's the question. And and I learned how to ask like short questions because I knew I just had to get him going. Mm-hmm. And I almost learned how to interview because of that. And then he would just talk about how wedding crashers were they were game planners and they had to set up their strategy yeah. and like yeah. I taught my team about the wedding. But it was crashers. really analytical. Like I remember the, right. the 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 answer, and that's a great movie with Vince Vaughn and Rachel McAdams and <laughs> Owen Wilson. And he was really analytical about like certain scenes. I remember him talking about like the the them at the Jewish wedding with the yarmulkes on and <laughs> you know, the, uh, the maple syrup conglomerate and like he was going into like, and you know why I think he was so interested in it? Because I think in his head, he was trying to figure out what he would be. If he's like, hold on a second, could this wedding crash be pulled off a, and if it can, (laughs) what would my story be? 
Would I be the maple syrup conglomerate guy? Would I be, you know, holy shirts and pants? Like, I I think that's what fascinated him so much. He was always thinking about stuff like that. Like, little things that you and I and normal people yeah. would just gloss over. It would be like, hold on a second. Maybe this could work. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> I can do this. You know what I mean? Do, do you I think remember that, that that would go on in his head? I no, totally agree. And I always yeah. thought you could hear him like think. part of the reason part of the yes, part of the reason he talked in the cadence that he talked was mm-hmm. that I in his head he was already like two or three sentences mm-hmm. ahead in the conversation. And so like he almost like couldn't finish the thing he was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was already on to the next topic. Do you remember <laughs> the one where he talked he talked to us about First of all, there's a great clip of Mike Leach doing the weather on like local TV and is it in still Lo- up? Does it I don't still know, exist? If, if you if somebody's listening and you find I gotta it, find it. Yeah. All he does is he's just like, listen, this is how I do the weather. I, I go outside and I put my hands in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, there's a simplicity, but like a genius to it. Do you remember the one where he talked about the 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 track meet in like Montana? And he used to he, he went up to a track. Meet I when he forgot. Was in high yes, I and do. He's, and he's like, we stayed in this little motel. Yeah. But, beh- but behind us, there were some mountains and not like the pretty mountains, but, but like leave dead bodies in them kind of mountains. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I totally remember that. The things that would come out of his mouth. That was the beauty of it. You're like, what oh. did he just say? But it was so authentic and so beautiful and so true to him. And it was so different than. Like juxtapose a Gus Malzahn Auburn okay. press go, conference to Mike Leach and we're gonna we're gonna run the ball. We're gonna run the and, ball left. We're gonna run the yeah, ball right. We're, like, gonna run, we're gonna run the ball. <laughs> pretend those guys like and just imagine in your head those guys are coaching the same sport in the same league. But they were. <laughs> no, we've got uh Wedding Crashers, the movie. They were game planners. We have small fish that swim up your equipment in the Amazon. We've got mountains mm-hmm. that you leave dead bodies in. Um, we've got football playing jackrabbits, not like those regular kind of jackrabbits, but then football, no, no. Playing, football, those football playing. playing jackrabbits from West Texas. Yes. Uh, and that was just like in the first couple of years of our careers in college football. You had a chance to work with him a little bit more in depth. Um, just your time with him. What is it that you remember the most? Because I, I know everybody right now this week has all these stories about interacting with him, whether it's a TV broadcast or radio or whatever. What what do you remember from from the shows that, and the work that you did with with Coach Leach there for a little while? I specifically, first of all, I was really young, so I specifically remember being young, not knowing what I was doing, trying to be a really straight laced radio host, and getting this guy on who had no interest in talking about football, had no interest in breaking down the games of the day. And I remember calling the boss at the time, Matt Fishman, and being like, so how do I do this? Because this guy doesn't (laughs) really watch football. He's like, well, let's play to his strengths. So his strengths were being Mike Leach, you know, caring about pirates and Geronimo and stuff like that with a little dash, little sprinkle of football mixed in, just a little (laughs) touch. Like, like just so you know, it's a football show. Right, right, right. But just a little dash of it and we're not going to focus too much on it we would get into all kinds of bizarre crap and if it was the off season it would get really bizarre and like just kind of wild but i remember he would have this fascination with me and the fact that for a little while i had a ukulele and um it would always come up always that totally it totally tracks by the way 
Yeah, well, like he's I living in Key. He's living in Key West, and like you're playing yeah. the ukulele. Like it's. I tried to learn how to play guitar, and it just didn't go well. So then I got a ukulele, and I actually played it pretty effectively. It's not very hard at all. Um, like you can play a song pretty damn easily with three chords, and the things are it's so small the fretboard where you can get you know get around pretty easy. So Jack Johnson anyway, made a whole Jack Johnson's made a whole career out of it. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> I learned how to do that and play a little Hawaiian songs and. I would sometimes like play like during commercial breaks and then it became his obsession. He had to have a Hawaiian song before every show. And if I didn't like if the ukulele wasn't in the room, I'd have to go get it, like go downstairs or upstairs or he had to have his little Hawaiian song or we couldn't do the show. And he would like get pissy about it. No, go get it. I don't care where it is. Go get it. I need my little Hawaiian song. So I'd go play him a little Hawaiian song. Um, that was one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things about working with him was what he would do during commercial breaks. He would uh, do his show in Key West. So he would jump in the swimming pool a lot during commercial breaks. Like he yeah. would, you would hear this like little, yeah. Yeah. like little splash. And he's like, how much time? You know, three minutes, coach. All right. Then you hear this little splash. And then he's like, you know, playing around in there doing a lap or two. <laughs> then he's coming out. And he, we're, you know, back on the show, you know, I, I'd come back and you were back here on Sirius XM and he, you know, coach, what'd you think about Alabama? <sighs> well, I thought, uh, they, you know, he's, and then he, if it wasn't that he would do pushups commercials, <laughs> he would be doing like ripping off 30 pushups and he'd come back and he couldn't breathe because we'd be on the radio. We're doing a show here. I know <laughs> one of the, and but my favorite leech story ever was when it was a post-game Sirius XM show. November, it was LSU, Alabama. I remember it well. LSU, Alabama. The game goes off. We go on the air. I get into a big moment with him that happened early in the game, but it changed the entire, you know, Outcome of the game and the way things went first do you, do quarter. You, do you remember that? Was this the 9 6 2011 year? Do you remember? I don't specifically remember. I just remember LSU was wearing white. That's all I remember. They had the white uniforms on. But because 10 11 game, 10 11 were the two years he was out of coaching as a head yeah. coach. So 2010 2011. Fall. Yeah. This is one of those. Pretty, um, big, pretty big LSU Bama games that, at that yeah, time. Yeah. Pretty big LSU. So I'm asking him and it's the first segment of the show and, and we're playing highlights and I ask him about this moment and it was a pivotal, huge moment. And he responded to me. He's like, oh, I don't know. I was out fishing today. I didn't watch much football and we're on a scoreboard show. Like we're, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is going to be wonderful for the next three hours. I try to pick his brain on what happened in the world of college football. He watched none of it has no idea that Alabama even won. <laughs> and yet here we are you know breaking down the games of the day that was my favorite mike leach just classic in his own world moment what do you think about clemson's defensive line well uh chris i i didn't watch the game no so. i was fishing caught a great bass though <laughs> got, got, got a yeah. big old got a nice got a, hybrid bass got a big old marlin out there on the, on, exactly. the, on the boat on the boat today no and, and listen he like what's what's weird is that and maybe not weird but what happens is, is people like us and all the media that are around college football we get into these conversations and all the stuff we remember you know, like like leaving the play sheet on the field in the Texas Oklahoma game and almost pulling off the upset on purpose, trying to trick 
the the Texas coaching staff and all the crazy stories that that you and I have experienced working with and and interviewing him and and like all the stuff but like it you fail in in all of that I feel like sometimes you forget how incredibly wicked football smart the guy was like it's not yeah. I mean obviously you're smart if you're going to you know if you've got Pepperdine law degree and you know you're a history buff and all this stuff like clearly he's very intelligent but I think his football acumen almost kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Like the first guy to ever throw over 500 passes in a single season in the SEC was um, Tim Couch and Mike Leach coached. The first guy to ever throw 600 pa- 500 passes in the Big 12 was was a Mike Leach coach guy. The first guy to ever hit 600 was a Mike Leach guy. The, fir- the all, like nine of the top 11 best passing seasons in like NCAA history in three different conferences are all Mike Leach. And you cannot tell the story of college football without the personality of Mike Leach. Sure. But there's also this other side to him that is just, I figured out how to attack a defense through the air better than almost anyone else ever. Go where they're not. That's that was his philosophy. Go where they're not. And you know what urban Meyer told me today? He said what Mike was so hell bent on, it was about repetition. Like he would run four verticals the entire practice. And it wasn't like his mindset was do the play so many times that the player knows all the different variations of what could happen, like different ways to shake a receiver, different ways like that could happen during and the repetition of it. It's not about the amount of plays or the genius of it. It's about the repetition of this is football. This is what works. This is what we do, and we're going to run it 5 million times so we know every possible outcome potentially that could happen. And my wide receivers are going to know how to adjust uh, because of it. Maybe, you know, pull off the throttle a little bit if they have to on a four-vert. Find the grass. He believed in that, and you know what? It did him well, didn't it? It did. I I don't think you can write, again, personality aside, I don't think you can write the story of college football, especially in our generation, this generation, let's say the modern era of post BCS in 98, you cannot write the story of college football without a pretty large chunk of it dedicated to Mike Leach. Totally agree. Right? Totally agree. Which is why this sucks. It just, I know. I don't, I mean, it was just wild that we we're all watching the egg bowl and watching him beat Kiffin and, and the impact that it had on the state of Mississippi just three weeks ago. Yeah. Awful. Um, well, I didn't want to end on a on a, a somber note, but of course the story itself is somber. And so I just I, I wanted to have you on, Chris, because I know you came on recently and but I know for me personally, there were so many moments early in my career where mm-hmm. you doubt what you're doing, you're not sure what you're doing, you clearly think you know more than you know and, and you don't. And then there are these things that happen where you just go like that that's why I fell in love with this. That's why I enjoy this, that's why I think the game is fun, that's why like I don't know, and Mike Leach was so gracious with his time. Yes, he was. Again, in like 2006, nobody was ever beneath him, which was the greatest thing right. about it. Like every single person, whenever I was on the road with him, anybody that approached him, he would talk to him, and he'd always ask them questions. So what do you do? So what about your? And he would like genuinely be interested, and that's what was so neat about him. Listening is uh, a lost art. <laughs> yeah, it it really he is. Did it All right, well. well is there anything else you want to add about Mike Leach, the guy, the person? No, here? I just because... loved him. Uh, he was incredibly quirky, fun to work with. I will say that um, if you ever wanted to envision his home life, imagine the Osborne show when Ozzy would always yell, Sharon, that's what <laughs> it was like working with him on the radio. And 
he would need anything. Like it was, you know, Sharon would come running. That that's what I want to leave you with. Sharon. Yes. Sharon. Sharon. Exactly. That was well, it. I, I know you're busy, man. Thank you for giving us some time. We do appreciate yes, it. Thank you. And um, uh, man, uh, Mike Leach. Rarely has there ever been a personality that has such a such a, a, a complex and um, gravitational force and that just takes an entire sport by storm. And Mike Leach yep. is one of those guys. So RIP Mike. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. We do appreciate it, man. Thank you, bud. All right, my man. Yes. Thanks for thinking of me today. That was Chris Childers, of course, had a chance to work with Mike. And uh, again, he and I just... <laughs> The number of ridiculous things that Mike Leach said to us back when it was Sirius 123, before XM and Sirius merged, before, you know, truly even the advent of the smartphone or social media, he was saying insane shit to us. And we could not believe at, at 20, 2005, 6 and 7 as 24, 23, 24, 25 year olds that we were having these long rambling 25 minute conversations with the head coach of Texas Tech. Just could not. Could not believe it. So um, I'm glad, glad you guys got to hear that uh, and appreciate that. Now, Stephen, Mississippi State has got to do this now. Uh, obviously, terrible circumstances. Zach Arnett's going to take over. He's the guy that I know you and I have liked for a long time. So does first of all, does he have a chance to be the interim? Because we've seen this in, in other places in the SEC and around the country. Interims are, are they're, they're, sometimes they can be a very popular decision. Zach Arnett's pretty well respected. He's done a pretty good job with the defensive side of the ball. Certainly, it's a continuity move. So, number one, does he have a chance? And if he doesn't, he it is the time of the year to hire coaches. It is after the main hiring round. But Mississippi State is sort of in the offseason here. Um, who are they looking at? And does Zach Garnett have a chance? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really def, kind of delicate balance for Mississippi State because on one hand, you have all the roster stuff going on right now. You have the transfer portal. You have NFL draft coming up. You have signing day next week. You kind of have to make a decision, unfortunately, whether you want to move to another candidate or keep Arnett on in a full-time role. I think maybe there's one advantage to keeping Arnett on is because you can keep all that together. You have some yeah. guys who have already decided to come back next year on defense. You can keep the same scheme in place and you give him a chance to be the full-time coach winning on the field next year, um, kind of like we saw Jake Dickert do at Washington State, named the interim, the program rallied around him, and he won the full-time job. Really respect the job that Zach Arnett has done as defensive coordinator there. I think he is a rising star in the SEC. So to me, the easiest play would be continuity. You keep him as the head coach for next season and just keep that team together for, for a year mm -hmm. and see where it goes. If you don't, you you're right. There, there, there's a this is the prime opportunity to hire another coach. You know, names like Willie Fritz at Tulane, uh, Kane Womack at South Alabama. You could throw out John Summerall at Troy. Uh, there's a lot of good up and coming coaches. I think that would make a lot of sense here if they decide to go somewhere else. Keep in mind the athletic director search also going on at this time as well. So there's really a lot of turnover and and a really tough line to walk if you're Mississippi State. I do feel like this is why Arnett's going to be named the interim coach. I don't know how long that lasts, but I would assume. I mean, he's already been named like the interim coach. I mean, like in more of a full time for the year. Yeah, because I could see them saying, all right, we need to hire an athletic director. We need to go through the proper search. We've got all this player movement happening, as you talked about. It does feel like Arnett is a pretty smart choice for the short term. Does it mean he's the full-time coach next year and it's just a one-year deal is it a two or three-year deal like matt luke got at ole miss i don't know i do think it's important to remember though that this job 
is pretty hard. <laughs> um, despite the success of both Dan Mullen and Mike Leach. Dan is Mullen a, is available, by the way. Yeah, that's true. This is a very difficult job. Um, it, it is. There, there's a reason that when Dan Mullen went to like five straight bowls, it was the first time in school history that it had ever happened because it's a tough job. And I, you know, NIL money, facilities, location, division. It's probably the seventh job in the SEC West in terms of how what you should expect. If you put Nick Saban at all seven jobs, I think Mississippi State would be at the bottom of the list in terms of Agreed. in terms of winning. Um, so I don't know what kind of candidate they'd be looking. I think if you go, if you tell me that Mississippi State's going to end up with Willie Fritz, even though there's a big shift in offensive philosophy there, which is going to be the case anytime you're coming off a Mike Leach tenure. I do think you could do a lot worse than Willie Fritz or Kane Womack. Kane Womack, of course, with a lot more SEC sort of recruiting background at South Alabama. Yeah, I think if they decide to go outside of Zach Arnett, I, I still think there's a lot of good candidates. I know you know Fritz has been a guy who has kind of maximized resources at every stop, and we see this at Tulane is a really hard job. Yes, it is a big transition, but usually you look at his coaching career, give him one year and that program can get flipped in the right direction. Also, more than ever, you can flip a roster fast. You don't have to rely on the 25-man cap anymore. You can bring up all the way to 85. The transfer portal allows you to uh, maneuver quickly. That, that also kind of gets into the decision if you're Mississippi State and trying to figure this out. I mean, you have a team that can win yep. next year. So do you maintain continuity for next season or do you sort of look to the future? One thought on this job, and I think going forward, Oklahoma, Texas, of course, will be coming into the league. This job is hard. It might get a little easier if you're not playing all the other teams in the West. If you can branch off and your schedule is playing some teams from the East, if you trade off Alabama for playing Vanderbilt or you trade off uh, you know, LSU for playing Missouri right. or something. Right. It gets a little easier, but it's still really hard. Yeah. If you're, if your permanents, if your three permanents are like Ole Miss, Kentucky and Vanderbilt and you're playing everybody else every other year or every two years, like uh, that's, it makes it a little bit easier, which is weird to say, considering the conversations in other conferences where it's going to get tougher for teams that are in that pecking order. But I think with, uh, I think with, you're, I mean, you're still going to be a tough job. It's still, very yes. It's still a very very tough job. Um, so we'll see what they do. I do think there are plenty of good options. You could be in a lot worse shape than having as many winning seasons as this program has had over the last fifteen years. Again, with Dan Mullen, Mike Leach, and then a little Joe Moorhead mixed in there. Um, don't forget about that 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 tenure, by the way. Um, all right, you want to get into the uh, Heisman vote here? Let's do it. I- I'm interested to see who you voted for one through three. So I had Caleb Williams, number one. I had Hendon Hooker, number two. And I had Bryce Young, number three. I, I, first of all, I, the trust gives us as voters a lot of leeway for beauty of the, is in the eye of the beholder. So when people get outraged that Hendon Hooker didn't go to New York, I've got a lot of Tennessee friends and family members that are like, I'm just so pissed. And I'm like, it doesn't take anything away from the be- beating Alabama or 10 wins or anything that Hendon Hooker accomplished this year. He was, I thought, the most outstanding player in the SEC. Um, I thought Bryce Young is the best player in the SEC. I think Jalen Carter was close to getting on my ballot, but he just didn't play enough games. Uh, Max Duggan would have been fourth, Jalen Carter fifth. Stetson Bennett, nowhere near my ballot. Never even considered him. Um, he's a very, very good player. He probably, as we talked to Michael Bratton last week, will probably get a statue outside of Sanford Stadium, but he's not a top four Heisman candidate i thought that was again 
voters are allowed to do what they want to do. I'm not getting too outraged about it. But you cannot tell me that Hendon Hooker was not the most valuable, most outstanding, most impressive, biggest and biggest moments. I mean, he just he sort of hits every checks every box of a Heisman candidate. If you're talking about SEC players, I just thought Caleb Williams did a little bit more of everything than Hendon Hooker. And that is why a little bit more must-see TV, a little bit more dynamic on the field, a little bit more statistical production, a little just as valuable to his team, got his team to a championship game, played through an injury and put up over 400 yards of offense. I thought Caleb Williams was the definition of most outstanding. But in the SEC, I thought Hendon Hooker was the definition of most outstanding. You know, you said this a few weeks ago because I've wrestled with the Bryce Young Hendon Hooker debate on my All SEC team. Like I, I was wasn't sure. Like this isn't this isn't a knock on Stetson Bennett. It's just that I just think that these two quarterbacks are the best in the SEC. And I think you said it best. Hinton Hooker had the best season. Bryce Young is, is the better player. And I think when you start diving into the stats, I mean, they both played seven games in the SEC. Hinton Hooker, 9.2 yards per attempt. Bryce Young, 8.6. 69.1% completion percentage for Hinton Hooker. Hinton Hooker also had 19 points higher in quarterback rating in SEC play and also was more productive on the ground. And you just see the, the steps that Tennessee took this year offensively, we wondered what was the next step after they went from, you know, bottom to the top of the SEC last year. They found that next year. They beat up on LSU. They beat Alabama. They beat Florida like 10 and 2. Uh, this is a pretty impressive season for uh, for Josh Heupel and, and yeah. Tennessee, and Hendon Hooker was a big part of that. So I hate to be boring, but I don't disagree with your Heisman ballot. I do like Jalen Carter. I think I would have given him probably a little bit more consideration had he played the full season. Also, yeah. I think Brock Bowers from Georgia is in the same boat, too. Like, he's insanely talented. He probably just won't have the stats to appeal to Heisman voters. I, I almost came into the season telling myself, like, I'm going to vote for Brock Bowers no matter what happens. Like, and I know that's not the right way to do it, but, like, I was just like, this is going to be the guy I'm going for no, no matter what because I just think he is the freakiest of freak athletes. I think he's the best athlete. Him and Will Anderson are the best two athletes. I mean, there's other guys, right? we got Harold Perkins now. We've got, you know, Mason Smith didn't play this season. Jalen Carter is probably the best actual football player. So there's just so much good stuff in there. So, uh, by the way, Eddie, do you, do you vote for the Eddie Robinson coach of the year, by the way? I, I do. You, I think you do. So I do, too. And I'm not going to say who I voted for, but I was shocked that Josh Heupel was not on that list. I was, too. I was really surprised. Uh, th th there, what what fairness, are we doing? In fairness, there there were several qualified coaches on there. Sure. Like it's, it, but I was surprised that Heupel wasn't on. I'm guessing the, the Kirby Smart was on there from the SEC. And I was like, no. <laughs> I, I I can understand. I mean, I get it, but I can understand him being on there just because they lost so much from last season. And you, if we're making the argument they're the best team in college football, the fact that they lost all those guys to the NFL and they still reloaded and were the best team, like mm. I get it. I, well, I would but, still, I'd vote Hypel uh, SEC Coach of the Year. By the way, yes, I would as well. I think Shane Beamer deserves some consideration in, in conversation in, in Brian Kelly as well. Brian Kelly does as well. So I, again, I would have Kirby Smart fourth on my SEC ballot, and he was one of I think what is it seven finalists. I, I do think John Summerall from Troy, who should be a candidate at Mississippi State, is on that list. Was on that list. So was Willie Fritz. So again, two names we've already mentioned for the Mississippi State job were on this ballot. It was Sonny Dykes, Mike Elko from Duke, who's done a great job in year one. Um, you had Kirby Smart on there. Uh, who am I missing? Was uh, Harbaugh on there too? I think Jim Harbaugh was on there as well. And I was like, "You vote for five out of the seven. And Kirby Smart and like didn't even didn't even cross my mind to put Kirby Smart on my top five. So out of five out of seven, I was like, "No, top three in the SEC would be Josh Heupel, number one, 
Brian Kelly, number two, probably Shane Beamer, Beamer, number three. Those are probably my top three if I was voting coach of the year in the SEC. I'd still give consideration for Kirby. All right. But I don't, I don't know that I, but I don't, that's the thing. I don't know that I could put him ahead of any of those others. Like they're all deserving. Like I, I, Kelly, the fact that LSU won the SEC West in a year where we thought they were going to be like seven and five, eight and four is a pretty big deal. And they beat Alabama. And I think Shane Beamer's candidacy made the late like push at the end because they beat Tennessee and they beat Clemson. So it, there's no, there's no wrong answer here. I, I think it's, if I had to vote one, I would immediately write in Heupel. Yes. Two, three, four would be a, a much tougher debate. Like, I feel good about any of those two, three, or four. Now, if Heupel was on my national ballot, I would not have voted him number one nationally. That 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 would go to the, the gentleman at in Fort Worth. Yeah, <laughs> that, that I agree. Would probably, that would, <laughs> even though he didn't win his conference, I would still probably vote for Sonny Dykes. Um, I, over Josh Heupel, I mean. So, But I would, I, again, John Summerall, Willie Fritz were two of my guys that I voted for in that ballot. And those are two names that if you are a Mississippi State fan, do some digging. Do some digging on Troy and some t- and Tulane, and you'll you'll like what you see, I promise. Uh, we've met I mean, listen, John Summerall's been on this show before. So like we had him on this summer and we told people before he's coached a single game at Troy to watch this man coach. <laughs> so uh, it's a good we, year for coaches on the uh, on the fringe element. Fr- fringe uh, element. Shane Beamer, yeah, John fringe Summerall. Ele- there you go. <laughs> don't don't worry about Sam Pittman. It was uh, a good start before KJ <laughs> Jefferson got hurt and there were right. some other injuries. So so speaking of Sam Pittman here, and we'll wrap up the show. Go to Jay Dunn, by the way. Uh, I want to talk coordinators here with you, Stephen, but make sure you go to Jay Dunn, jdunn.com, our wonderful and amazing sponsor. These are folks that care deeply about the people around them. Uh, they want you to come work for them. So if you're looking to make a career change, go to jdunn.com, check out the website. This is a top 100 uh, healthiest place to work in America, $5 billion in annual revenue offices all across the country, over 200 jobs available. They are looking to make your career more inspiring and more fulfilled, Stephen. It, it, more, more, more inspiring, more fulfilled. I don't know... Like what else what, do you need? I really and they they have all these fancy things at their office. Like if you think an uh, an SEC facility is fun, and you think you walk in, you see Jay Dunn's waterfall. Holy smokes! Big Lazy waterfall. River. Lazy Riverfalls. Now we're just making shit up. They don't have any of that stuff. <laughs> but 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 they do have like a video game room, like a record playing room, a music listening room. They have two big green eggs, and this is just in their Nashville office. So I can't speak to all the other offices, but uh, just spectacular digs for you to go work in because they want you to be happy and fulfilled and and feel like you're a part of the team and buy into what they're selling and if you buy in you get rewarded for that and it's it's just not that difficult to care about the people you work with and work and work for you uh so again jdun jdun.com uh it's just a novel concept steven care about the people that work for you and they will be happier and healthier and more productive and more loyal to your cause it's just not that complicated I think Sam Pittman, Shane Beamer, and Mark Stoops are pretty good coaches to work for, don't you? Pretty good culture. They I would Im- care about your future. I, I would imagine. They're um, top of the list. Although, you know, not every coordinator on Mark Mark Stoops' staff. <laughs> now, Shane Beamer and Sam Pittman have to replace some guys. That's different. They left to go take bigger jobs, right? Like Barry Odom is now, you know, the head coach at UNLV. Marcus Satterfield left to go offensive coordinator for South Carolina. He's now up at, at Nebraska. It's a bigger job than South Carolina. Um, but Rick, Rick, Rick Scarangello is not at Kentucky be, be, because Mark Stoops <laughs> loved him. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a rough year for Kentucky <laughs> offensively. But not not necessarily all of his fault, but the, yeah. the coordinator change to, to Liam Cohen is a good thing for Kentucky. And you did not mention Jimbo Fisher. Um because 
who knows who wants to work at Jimbo Fisher with Jimbo Fisher? Who knows about the culture at Texas A&M? They got a bunch of dudes in the portal. Uh, so does Arkansas, and they've got a bunch of coaches to replace. So let's get into this list. Of co- Go to J.E. Dunn, by the way, jedunn.com. Let's get into this list of a bunch of changes at the coordinator positions and really break it all down for everybody. We'll do some pluses and some minuses. We'll grade some of these hires, and then we'll just cross our fingers, get down on our knees, and beg and plead and pray to whatever God you pray to that Bobby Petrino is the offensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. Can we, can we all agree on that? Yes. Can, can like... Can you just imagine the oh. the like volcanic implosion factor of having Fisher, Petrino, Adazio, oh. and Durkin on the same staff, potentially in the same room, arguing about schemes and recruiting and everything else? So hey, it's got uh, some serious potential. Hey, hey, uh, whose scandal is worse? Let's just see. <laughs> he'll see whose scandal is worse. Like, well, DJ, DJ, obviously, DJ Durkin's scandal was the worst. Um, but then you got. <laughs> You got the motorcycle thing and Bobby and all the Jimbo's Jameis Winston stuff. Like it's just Dazio has a long list of stuff from Colorado State too. Yes, he does. It's not is it is it's not as bad as some of the other stuff, but it's not great. It's not great. (laughs) It's not great, Dan. (laughs) Not great, buddy. Uh, God, what a volatile coaching room. Just like personality, like there is no. So here's the thing: as a content person, I would love to see Bobby Petrino be this guy at that place because I think it would be just. It's almost as bad as hiring Hugh Freeze at Auburn in terms of volatility. But like there's no possible way it would work. Like he would be very good offensively. If actually if Jimbo Fisher truly turned it over and took a step back, Bobby Petrino knows how to run an offense. But there is no way all those personalities you just mentioned will all get along and and last for an extended period of time at Texas AM. No chance. No, no chance. Now, I, I think if you Wanted to take the optimistic route. It's what you said. I, I th- when I think about Jimbo Fisher and, and Petrino, I don't think what they do is like drastically different. Petrino is not going to come in and try to throw it 60 times a game. You know, he'll try. You, you've said this many times when we were working, when Bobby Petrino was at Arkansas, run game, offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that appeal to Jimbo Fisher, like building an offense around the offensive line and the run game. So it's not drastically different. Petrino's a great play caller. For, I mean, for all of everything, all the baggage he's got, he can build an offense. He can call plays. Also, I think, I mean, if you're AM, do you want to hire somebody who's, I guess, going to be taking like, it, are they going to be a strong enough personality to tell Jimbo, like, this is my offense. I'm calling my plays. It's not your offense anymore. I think Petrino can do that. If you go out and hire somebody, it's maybe his first time as a play caller or he's been at a lower level. He may not get that freedom. Petrino will, I lot think, of, will make it clear to Fisher that this is his offense. I, I agree with you. That's a lot. There's a lot of risk that comes along with a that. lot of ifs. Now. Uh, yeah. Risk and ifs that comes along with that confidence. Um, but again, we can all you know t's and p's to texas a&m whoever gets that job uh coaching the the offense for jimbo fisher because again we don't know how much he's going to let it go and you got some other big personalities in that coaching room and the noise around the program with the fan base is not gonna go away i know they love him they loved him at the start of the year i think they love him a little less now but he's still their guy he ain't going anywhere and they ain't spending 86 million dollars to fire him so this is you are in bed, folks. You gotta, you gotta figure out how to make it all work. And uh, my God, Bobby Petrino, Hugh Freeze and Bobby Petrino back in the SEC West in the same year. What are we doing? This is awesome. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. All right, so let's let's get to the rest of these coordinator moves that have taken place so far in the SEC. I think Arkansas actually might be one of the biggest ones we need to discuss. 
with the loss of Barry Odom to UNLV, as we mentioned. But I asked this question last week of Michael Bratton, uh, who was on the pod last week. Of course, you can listen to him, that SEC podcast. Um, and I, I have a feeling you you probably agree with this. Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky all have to replace their coordinators and all have to replace their quarterbacks uh, to varying degrees of, 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 of sort of uh, productivity this past year. I assume that you agree. Michael said Tennessee. I tend to agree that Tennessee has the easiest time of replacing those two pieces. Do you agree that Tennessee is the easiest of those three in terms of replacing the production from last season? Yeah, I do. I I would go with Tennessee. I I think, first of all, it it is Josh Heupel's offense. And and Alex Golish, I know, played some role in some of the the things that you see schematically and all that. But still, this is Josh Heupel's offense. He he plays a big role in game plan, play calling and all that. So I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you can't be too worried about losing an offensive coordinator when the head coach uh, designs the offense and runs it. The quarterback position is much more interesting to me at Tennessee because you have Joe Milton who's going to make a start in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. We'll be curious to see how he plays against a good defense. And and also just looking ahead, we still have the transfer portal. Tennessee could add somebody. They've got a five-star freshman. Like Their quarterback room is already – they at least have a starting option and they have another guy coming in that could start at some point next year. Uh, I, I do think one thing to keep in mind, we'll talk about Kentucky, is Kentucky's got two really good freshman receivers in Dane Key and Barry and Brown. So the next quarterback, whoever he is, is taking over uh, maybe two of the more talented playmakers that Kentucky could have in, in some time because the, of what yep. we've seen with Wondell Robinson and, and Tavion Robinson the last couple of years. These two guys are going to be really good. I do think I don't you you guys know I'm not a big Joe Milton guy. I think they can win seven, eight games with him. I'm not sure 10 is going to be doable with him. He's a nice, you know, stopgap until either Nico Yamaleava gets there or somebody new. I agree that it's Tennessee. They have the easiest time of it because it's Josh Heupel's offense and they have Joe Milton, who's been around for a thousand years. So, like, they've got a little bit more there to work with. Uh, excuse me. Um I will be interested to see though if they go into the portal because I think like DJ Uwe Ungole, ironically, their their opponent <laughs> played at Clemson. I think he actually would fit in Josh Heupel's offense very very well. A athletic guy who can run a little bit, uh, quick reads, simplify the offense so he's not so complicated for him. Uh, I think it could be a really nice fit there at Tennessee. Kentucky goes to Lee, they go back to Liam Cohen again. This is a coordinator who was there under with Will Levis two years ago. They had one of their best seasons offensively. It felt like Kentucky finally figured out how to evolve. He goes to work back for the Rams. The one year he's gone, of course, they win a Super Bowl. Poor guy. Um, he goes back. He's off the Sean McVay tree. They hire Scarangelo off the Shanahan tree, but they're very similar, of course, in their style. Levis, because of the offensive line, largely major step back. But then they go back to him, and now he's their new offensive coordinator. I can't remember a time that that's happened in a one-year span. It's kind of an odd move. What do you make of of Cohen coming back to run Kentucky's offense? I love this hire. I mean, you could just look at the stat sheet the last couple of years, 5.1 yards per play in the SEC in the year prior to when Cohen got to Kentucky, 5.82 his year at Kentucky, and then 4.98 this year. So clearly uh, the production was there. But I also thought if you just watch Kentucky, they had a little bit more creativity on offense. And I think they didn't, they didn't necessarily go away from what Stoops wants to do from an an identity standpoint. They want to be able to run the ball, be physical. You saw that they were creative with some formations and different plays that they used. Also, I think his work with Will Levis, I think will be, you know, something they can use on the recruiting trail too. I mean, they need to find a quarterback 
in the portal. So it's very easy to go to recruits and say, hey, I worked for the Rams and I worked with Matthew Stafford and look what Will Levis is going to do in the NFL draft. So that would have to be very appealing. And we just talked about how they have some talented receivers coming in. So I, I think getting getting Cohen back to run, as it's not a drastic offensive switch. It was. It worked before. I think it's a great fit once again for Kentucky. Yeah, I really like the move. It's just weird. It just. It just Very weird. weird. Um, Marcus Satterfield leaves South Carolina to take the same job at Nebraska. Is this a good thing for South Carolina or a bad thing for South Carolina? Which is it? I thought it was a good thing for South Carolina until I saw the hire of uh, Dow Loggins as offensive <laughs> coordinator. I mean, he, he, statistically, South Carolina's offense was better this year than it was last year. Of course, they played the quarterback uh, injury carousel last year. So it was a lot of bad luck. But this year they were better. My question with South Carolina has been, why did it take until the end of the season to get the kind of production that we saw against Tennessee and we saw against Clemson. So all the pieces, yes, it took some time for them to get acclimated to the offense, but still it shouldn't have taken 10 games for South Carolina to, to figure it out. So I was a little puzzled by what Satterfield was doing most of the year. I'm a little <laughs> puzzled by what South Carolina it will be doing under Dow Loggins now. It's a really curious hire. I did, I did enjoy, though, and maybe it was just because Spencer Rattler just figured it out in the last two games. I don't know. But like they were pretty creative with how they were using their pieces. They were creative with which guys were lining up where and the tight ends being running backs and running backs being quarterbacks and quarterbacks being tight ends. And like it was fun to watch there, especially against Tennessee and against Clemson. Um, Loggins, and, and again, I cover the Tennessee Titans for my company here locally as well as for, for ESPN. And he is not a well-respected offensive coordinator from Tennessee Titans fans. Like they joke about 2012, 2013, because that was, I mean, it wasn't quite the five and 27 record that was, I think it was uh 2014 and 15 but that, that that Tennessee Titans fans are not sorry South Carolina fans but Tennessee Titans fans do not have fond memories of Dow Loggins now NFL and SEC coordinators are very different they, they just they just are um Matt Rules a terrible NFL coach darn good college coach Steve Spurrier Bobby Petrino Nick Saban we can go down the list they're not the same necessarily uh but being here in Nashville and living through the Loggins era of offensive coordinating <laughs> it wasn't particularly fond uh, uh, part of time for the fan base here for Tennessee Titans. So yeah, I'm I, strange, strange hire by Shane Beamer. We'll see. Not just the Titans. He's been an offensive coordinator at a couple other stops in, in right. the, in the right. NFL too. And none of them were uh, particularly prolific. Now, nope. like you said, NFL and college, totally different things. He's gotten good, I think, reviews for his ability to recruit. So I think that's pretty attractive if, if you're South Carolina. I think my takeaway in South Carolina has been they they made significant strides under Shane Beamer, just getting from last year, getting to the bowl game, finishing the year on a high note. They took another step forward this year. Is this the offensive coordinator that's going to take you from eight and four to 10 and two and higher in the SEC? I have a really hard time understanding why he's the hire and why you don't go out and get someone else that's maybe a little bit more proven on the college level. Also, you mentioned it. I mean, Jaheim Bell was one of those pieces they moved around last year and this year. He transferred. Marshawn Lloyd, he transferred. They could have some attrition at receiver. Spencer Rattler could be gone. This seems like a really curious hire. Shane Beamer's hired, I think, pretty good assistant coaches so far. Yeah. But this one, I, I don't really understand. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. Auburn, it looks like it's going to be Ron Roberts on defense, who was fired. 
recently. <laughs> he's going to be the, he's the Baylor defensive coordinator. Uh, Phil Montgomery looks like the former Tulsa head coach is going to be the offensive coordinator, according to reports. What do you make of the staff that, in general, the staff that Hugh Freeze is putting together? Obviously, Cadillac Williams at the top of that list. I like it. I think Phil Montgomery is a, is a heck of a coach. I okay. think you know, his record at Tulsa, it's a tough job. I, I wouldn't read too much into that. But I think you saw at Tulsa that that style of play can work well at Auburn. The fact that they're going to build around the offensive line, rushing attack, take those deep shots. It's a Baylor-style offense, much like you've seen at Ole Miss and, and Tennessee, some offshoot of that. I was shocked when Ron Roberts was fired at Baylor. I mean, he, he and Dave Aranda are, are, are close. The defense at Louisiana and Baylor, both under his watch, made significant strides. So I actually think this is a really good start to, okay. to Auburn right. staff. I think they really nailed their two coordinator hires. I mean, no, Dave Aranda is the guy. So he, he does run the defense at Baylor. He is the kind of the architect of it all. Very cerebral dude. Uh, I am curious why that happened as well. I just, is that personality conflict? Is it recruiting? Is it? Uh, it's just an it's an odd it's just a storyline. Uh, I don't think it necessarily means it's a bad or a good hire for for Hugh Freeze. It's just interesting and uh, you know just a, just a fascinating staff full of a bunch of guys with a lot of bullet points on their resume. <laughs> so so um, all right, quickly. I think the most important one, honestly, of all of these outside of Cohen to Kentucky, frankly, and obviously, God willing, Bobby Petrino to A and I think the most interesting one and most like difficult one to pinpoint. And the one that probably has the most impact on the head coach's future is, is, is Sam Pittman replacing Barry Odom at Arkansas. I think a lot of Arkansas fans are sort of eh on Kendall Bryles. I think, I think there's, they're fine with him. He had good moments. He has some bad moments. I don't think he's particularly special. I think he's fine. I don't think he's great, but I thought Barry Odom is part of the reason that this team was so good two years ago. They had a lot of injuries this past year, but I think, Part of Sam Pittman's allure is his ability to keep his staff together and build a really strong staff the way Shane Beamer has. These other guys that don't have a ton of head coaching X's and O's experience. Now he's got to replace his defensive guru. And for the first time, we're going to see if Sam Pittman can rebuild a coaching staff, which I think is a really big question about the future of Arkansas football. Especially after this season, where I think you could argue they underachieved. Yeah, I mean, sure. of course... They started out great. There was the weird play against Texas A&M. Momentum shifted in that game after that. Then, of course, K.J. Jefferson got hurt, and then the season just yeah. never got on track. And, they, of course, they closed with a loss to Missouri. That certainly didn't sit well for, for Arkansas. So I, I think it is, it's really important, but it's, it's also important from the program standpoint, but it's also important from a defensive standpoint. When you look at their defensive stats this year, I mean, they struggle to stop the pass. Yards per play, scoring defense, yep, yep. all of those metrics, not good. I don't know that that's all Barry Odom's fault. I think there were some personnel deficiencies. But now you're going to rebuild next year without Drew Sanders, without Bumper Pool. You've lost some guys in the portal. You're going to have to rebuild quickly on the defensive side of things. So they've already brought in a couple transfers on offense. That will help solidify receiver, offensive line, and the backup quarterback situation. But defense coordinator and personnel is a big question. So that I think I think Ron Roberts was a candidate at Arkansas. So the fact that he went to Auburn he was. Uh, will be something to watch for sure going forward. No, he picked Auburn over Arkansas uh, in, in theory. So that'll be interesting to, to, to keep an eye on. That is sort of the rundown of all the coordinators. I know we touched on it briefly last week. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into it this week. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, all, all the Heisman news, the award news, and sadly, the passing of Mike Leach at 61 years old. Again, 158 wins, 107 
losses. This is a guy who I believe went to a bowl game in all but two of his seasons. That's 19 bowls, I think, in 21 years. Um, and only three losing seasons his entire head coaching career and is responsible for so much of the offensive development in our game and in the SEC. Uh, and uh, what a weird, quirky, fun, interesting, stubborn at times, not perfect personality, uh, but a huge part of of this chapter of college football. So special thanks to Chris Childers for hanging out with us. Special thanks to our primary sponsor who brings you this podcast and brings you this show on YouTube for free every single week, J.E. Dunn, Stephen. We love J.E. Dunn. We we, we, we we can't say enough about how wonderful they are. They're a wonderful sponsor. They're a wonderful place to work. Uh, you know, if you want a career change or if you want to work for people that care about you, want you to continue to succeed in your career, it's J.E. Dunn. There you have it. J.E. Dunn.com. Careers. Over 200 jobs available across all across the Southeast. $5 billion in annual revenue. Top 100 healthiest place to work. I don't know how many times I have to say all of these things before you just listen up and go apply for a new career. Quit quiet quitting and just actually quit. Go to J.E. Dunn. You'll be treated way better. You'll be more fulfilled, more inspired. You'll feel like you're accomplishing something with a team, which is like sort of the whole point of having a job. Uh, it's not just to punch a clock and to make somebody else a bunch of money. That's not the point. So, um, all right. Special thanks to Childers for hanging out with us, of course. R.I.P. Leech. R.I.P. Pirate. Swing your sword, man. Um, you meant a lot to this game. You meant a lot to me. Uh, and uh, I appreciate Childers giving us a few minutes. I appreciate you, Stephen Lassen, for filling in for Aaron. So thank you so much for doing that. Where can people find all your work? Thanks for having me. Hopefully the backup quarterback uh, had a decent performance here as I filled in for Aaron. But you can follow me on Twitter at AthlonSteven, and you can follow all my work at AthlonSports.com and all CFB365 on YouTube. We run a totally different offense with you. Like, like she, far less insulting to me when you're here. You know, like you're much nicer to me than she is. Um, so it's it's less insults at me and more like who's in the transfer portal for Arkansas. <laughs> so we run a totally different offense when you're around. So it's fun. Hopefully everybody enjoyed that. Rate, review, subscribe, share the product. Go to J.E. Dunn, everybody. For Steven, I'm Braden. Thanks for listening. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>